Well, good morning. I am blessed to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, I mean that other tall guy, everybody knows, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm Don Romano. I am the associate pastor here at Renovation Church. And am I glad to be. Well, this morning, we get to talk about everybody's favorite thing. What do you suppose that might be? Money. Yeah. No, that's not it. Well, yeah, kind of it is. Nah. This morning, we're going to be talking about gratitude. Uh, So all you ingrates, listen up. The Torah, according to uh, what Pastor Alex told us uh, last week, and what I also believe, the Torah, or Torah, is, uh, well, actually, the entire Bible is the story of God restoring the relationship between himself and humans. Now, please note that God is the one doing the restoration. That's an important concept. Uh, Because the relationship was broken when Adam, as the representative of all humanity, rebelled against God. And in his rebellion, Adam rejected God. God had provided Adam and his wife, Eve, with everything they needed to live healthy happy and productive lives. But rather than being thankful for God's provision, they rejected God's provision. Actually, they went further than just rejecting his provision. They actually rejected God's further provision for the future. They questioned his motives They actually doubted God's integrity and undermined his rights as the designer and creator of the universe, and they usurped his authority over their lives. It was a big deal. God had warned Adam in advance that the results of this kind of behavior would be death. So from that point on, angels, big angels, with flaming swords, not just swords, with flaming swords, they stood guarding the way back to God and actually back to life. Uh, With that powerful and fearful illustration in front of him, Adam finally began to understand the separations that his sin had caused, and also the hopelessness of trying to get back all that he had lost. And so we're left with Adam and Eve at the entrance to the garden, which had become their exit, with two angels guarding the way back in. Hopeless, probably afraid for the first time in their lives, definitely apart from God's help and alone. 
That's where the story begins. Well, actually, it began a few minutes before that. Uh, when, when God said to Eve that he would put conflict between the serpent and Eve's seed. This one statement revealed two things. Uh, death might win over Adam and Eve eventually, but there was still the hope of continued human existence through the bearing of children. Second thing it meant was that God had a plan to restore what had been lost. And as the years and generations went by, we, as the children of Adam and Eve, lost the skills and the attitudes required to relate to God. The Torah, including Leviticus, is the story of God retraining people for relationship with him. The story is illustrated by and unfolds through God's dealing with a single family. Part of that story is found in the book of Leviticus. Now, by the time the events that were recorded in Leviticus took place, the family in the story had grown from Adam and Eve to, well, a lot of souls. And they, as a nation, have been camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, for a year. One year before, they crossed through the Red Sea. And they saw the armies of Egypt drown right behind them. They walked to the foot of Mount Sinai, watched Moses climb up, and 40 days later, they built a golden calf. Since then, they've been collecting materials in that year. They've been collecting materials and crafting those materials into parts for a great tabernacle. They've also been protected from the scorching sun by a cloud. And both warmed and illuminated at the dead of night by a pillar of fire. By the way, they also saw the mountain smoking, burning with fire, covered in thick smoke and clouds with lightning and thunder continuously sounding. Oh, and don't forget the earthquakes because the mountain shook at the presence of God and they were afraid to go near the mountain for a year or even afraid to hear God speak to them. They said to Moses, you go talk to him. Don't let him talk to us. <clears throat> See, the weight of God's presence, that is, his glory, was felt by every one of them every day. And up to this point, they hadn't even had to worry about getting food for themselves God had fed them every day. They were totally dependent on God for everything. And he never let them down. Now, a year later or 
through a year of experiencing all these things. The tabernacle they had been preparing is finally built. And the glory that had shaken the mountain and filled it with smoke moved into the tent they had made. God moved from the top of the mountain to the big tent in the middle of the group. From inside that tent, God spoke. And he is speaking to Moses in the book of Leviticus. But what he is doing is telling the people about the proper way to draw near to him through the making of sacrifices. More than that, he's molding their character and behavior into that which will return to him what Adam despised and restore to him and to us the relationship for which he created us in the first place. The question for us is, what are we supposed to learn from Leviticus 2 today? So we should probably pray and ask God to let us in on the secret. <sighs> Heavenly Father, um, you are so good to us. You have provided for us everything we need. Every one of us is here today because of years and years of your faithfulness. And I am reminded what the book of Hebrews teaches us. That the fruit of thanksgiving is praise. When we thank you, we are giving you credit for the things you have done. And so, Father, we need to learn what it is that you're calling us to be, to do, the attitudes, the character, and you've chosen to reveal it in what to me seems like a strange way, but which makes perfect sense, especially as all the things you call for, you fulfilled in your son on our behalf. So open our eyes, Holy Spirit, teach us Empower us and guide us into the things that you call us to. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, here's good news. Last week, Pastor Alex talked a lot about blood and, and flaying and butchering animals. Yeah, he spoke about catching the blood in a bowl and splashing it around all over the place. He spoke of dismemberment and beheading. He, it was a free will offering, and it, it spoke of an atonement for sin. It spoke of God's holiness. It's, it spoke of the cost for sin, and it was gruesome. Not only that, the whole offering went up in smoke. I mean, there was nothing left over. It was gone. All of it. This week, now that atonement has been made on our behalf, 
we're going to bake some bread. So, quick show of hands here. Who does not enjoy the smell of baking bread? <laughs> See, almost everybody likes that. Um, actually, um, what I, I did a, a quick Google search, and I found 11.2 million results. I searched for the smell of baking bread. Those are the exact words I typed into Google, and it came back with 11.2 million results in less than half a second. I didn't quite get halfway through all those results. <clears throat> and it is reported that the smell of baking bread actually makes people kinder. When we smell bread baking, we get nice. <laughs> that might not be the only reason, but it's one of the things that happens. Um, and, and you know what? The smell of baking bread is apparently one of the most universally enjoyed smells. Even God likes it. So let's get into it up to our elbows. <clears throat> if you've ever made bread, you understand. Uh, let's get into it up to our elbows. I'm going to turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 2. <clears throat> and if you would follow along with me. Leviticus, chapter 2, um, starting at verse 1. Now, when anyone presents a grain, this is God speaking to Moses, by the way. When anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and shall Take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now I, gotta, I have to be totally honest with you. When I read this, the first thing that went through my mind was, what in the world would bread with frankincense in its taste like? <laughs> and, and, and I actually had to do a search and find out if frankincense is even edible. Because it smells good, right? I mean, you want to eat it. Well, frankincense is apparently edible and Aids in the digestion. So if you have a little indigestion, you might try and find some frankincense. But the word here translated grain offering, well, that grain part doesn't actually exist in the original language. It's just offering. The only reason we add grain is because the context later on says fine flour. So we know that, you know, flour comes from grain. 
it must be an offering of grain. So let's call it a grain offering. But original language just says, hey, when somebody offers an offering, it should be fine flour. By the way, the same word that's translated offering is also translated elsewhere as gift. So if anyone brings a gift to the Lord, it should be fine flour mixed with oil, add some frankincense, give it to the priest, take a handful out and let him throw it in a fire. That's a great thing, isn't it? Well, the idea here is uh, that this particular form of offering is basically a gift to the Lord. Now, it's appropriate that it should come after Leviticus 1 because before there was that whole blood sacrifice that made us acceptable to the Lord, it wasn't a good idea to approach. Remember, this is the same guy who was on the mountain making it shake. This is the same holiness that last week Alex said, holiness is devastating. God's holiness is devastating holiness. I looked up devastating. I did a lot of looking up this time, this week. So uh, the whole thing about devastation is it means Lay, to lay waste, to destroy. So God's holiness can destroy. And, and one, one of the things Alex related to was that sin in God's presence is so affected by his holiness that it is obliterated, the sin is obliterated, because God will not abide sin. He will not allow it to be there. And it's his holiness that devastates sin. So it's kind of a crazy thing that you would think, oh, well, I'm a sinful person. Let me take a handful of flour and throw it in a fire at God's feet. I mean, that's just kind of a crazy thought. And so I, I... when I prayed a little while ago, I said, you know, this, the method doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me, except that it makes perfect sense when we understand God's perspective. So that's, that's what it is. Uh, a gift, an offering to the Lord, bring fine flour mixed with oil, some frankincense, give it to the Levite, give it to the priest, Take a handful of it out and let him throw it in the fire and burn it up. It'll be smoke. You can't use that part, but look at verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, oh, I'm sorry, that was chapter 1. Let's go to chapter 2. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It's a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. So last week, the the free will offering, the blood and guts offering, was consumed completely, 100% in the fire, nothing left over for anybody to eat. But this offering, there's only a small portion of it taken out. Actually, we'll see in a minute that that portion is called the memorial portion. And it's thrown in the fire. By the way, 
I'm not sure you understand, but when God and Moses were talking together before this, back at the burning bush, Moses asked God, what should I say is your name? When they asked me, who should I say sent me? And the Lord's response was, my memorial name. Tell them, tell them I am sent you. But later on, when it became Jehovah, it was, this is my memorial name. This is the way I will be remembered by you. This is going to be the familiar part of me. You're going to say, Jehovah did this or that, and that will be a memorial to me. So when the Levites take a memorial portion of this flower and throw it in the fire, that is the portion that remembers what God has done. And what is it God has done? Now, once again, some things here just didn't make sense to me because I'm thinking, okay, where are they going to get the flower? Because where are they? They're in the wilderness at the foot of Sinai. How much grain are they getting? They're not. They're getting manna, right? So all of this stuff kind of looks to the future, but it also looks to the past. Because when you carry it there, you've already got it, right? When you're carrying flour up to the fire in, or up to the altar in order to be sacrificed, you've already got it. God has already provided it. Now, maybe they carried some from, the, uh, from Egypt with them. Maybe at the foot of Sinai for a year, they went out and traded with peoples nearby and got some grain. I don't know. I don't have that answer. Scripture doesn't tell us. But when you desire to give a gift to the Lord, bring this fine flour. Mixed with oil. Mixed with frankincense. Burn some. Give the rest to the Levites. Ah, well, another interesting thing happens here in verse 4. It says, when you bring an offering of grain baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. So this same Flour could be mixed, turned into bread, and baked before being brought for a sacrifice. Uh, Now, bread I can relate to because I'm Italian, and we eat a lot of bread and pasta and potatoes. And if it's starch, you know, and oil I can relate to because, yeah, same reason. But what struck me at this point is that God is not just calling for incensed flour, flour with incense in it. He is also providing for the priesthood. He's giving to Levi and the sons of Levi what they need to live. And when it becomes, well, chapter 2, verse 4, an offering of grain that's baked in an oven... Make cakes out of it. Make 
Peter. Uh, in, in, uh, in verse 5, it says, if your offering is a grain offering made on the griddle, I'm kind of like, okay, God wants the Levites to eat pancakes too, right? <clears throat> if it shall, uh, in, in, uh, in verse 6, break it into bits, pour oil on it, it's a grain offering. But in verse 7, if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, I think, okay, wait a minute, is to us a pan and a griddle, they both pancakes in here, pancakes in there? But then I thought, no, maybe that's something more like, I don't know, deep dish pizza, because that's what we make in a pan with flour, right? So, but, but what is it? What is it? It's just another form of God providing for his priests, in, verses, in verse 8, it says, When you bring in the grain offering which is made of these things to the Lord, it shall be presented to the priest. He shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion, whether it's a pile of flour, a pancake, a deep dish pizza, or a pita bread, whatever it is. Um, take it up and offered up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Verse 10, the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and to his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. This is really important. This is really important because God basically said to the sons of Aaron, And though he hasn't said all these things yet, it's still true. You don't get any land. I'm your portion. Right? You won't have a place to grow your own crops. I provide. Yeah? And this is the beginning of that provision. And God uses what he gives the rest of his people in order to provide for Levi or for Aaron and his sons for generations. But what if they don't have a good heart about this whole thing? What if the people go like, I worked hard to raise that grain. I'm not going to grind it, turn it into a deep dish pizza and deliver it to the priest. What if, our, what if our heart is not right? God's provision suffers, and we suffer. We actually, if we have that wrong attitude, become a lot like Adam, who despised what the Lord was doing, called his motives into question, even accused him of withholding. Is it true? Did God really say? Now, yeah, those are the words of the devil. But who reacted? Who responded to those words? <clears throat> Leviticus 2.11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. So this is interesting because, of course, we've probably heard a hundred times, leaven is a representation of sin. When sin creeps in, it kind of moves through everything and destroys. Right? It is about decay. But what about honey? 
Honey is like a clean food. It's a good thing. Uh, Why not offer up honey in the sacrifice? Well, there's two reasons. Because honey is sweet, and sweet causes fermentation. So if you have flour with honey in it, or bread with honey on it, it can actually spoil. You call it spoil, um, or ferment. But also, honey, if it's burned, gives off an acrid smell. So if this is supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma for the Lord, honey would wreck it. So, no honey. Okay, now things get a little strange for me because we're talking about a grain offering, you know, flour, stuff baked from flour. But in verse 11, or 12, I'm sorry, as an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend for a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So the first thing I thought was, wait a minute. First fruit? Because I know the end of the story, I know that first fruit's going to come up again. And there's actually a time during the harvest season when the first fruits, the first things to get ripe, get brought to the altar for sacrifice. Olives. I I don't know, uh, asparagus, who knows. Uh, Whatever they were growing, whatever crops they were able to raise, whatever got ripe first, they would take and bring to the Lord as an offering. And that would not go up in smoke, it says, but get offered and become the food of of, of, of the priests. I keep wanting to say Levi, even though we're moving ahead here. Uh, The sons of Aaron, the priests, eventually the the Levites. This became their food. It's how God provided. So God didn't just provide bread and water, say, okay, guys, have a ball. Um, No, he produced everything that, that they could love, enjoy. I mean, if you had olives and you pressed oil out of it, you know what? Bring it to the priest. Bring him the best. Bring him the first. Why would we do that? I mean, why would God even ask for this? Yes, he wants to provide for those who are working at his command. But there's another reason. What I said going into this was that, and what Alex told us last week, is that God is actually training people to be in relationship with him. And one of the things he calls for is a thankful heart. 
gratitude. Adam wasn't ingrate. The evidence is all there. It's not my judgment. Adam was not grateful to God for what God had done. In fact, Adam ended up not only accusing God, but of basically saying, don't tell me what's good. I'll be the judge of that. That's a bad thing. That's a bad place to be. So God desires for us to have an attitude of gratitude, right? And, and, and here's what he says. You know, when, when we bring the first fruits or when we bring an offering of grain, what we're saying is, here's some of what you gave me. Thank you. And I thank you in advance for the rest of the harvest to come. Right? I, this is the first fruit. And I know that first means more. That's great, right? Because then I can go back and harvest more and be more grateful and bring 10% of that for the Levites. That's, that's how the math works out. Um, wow. So uh, this gratitude is not just for what has been provided, but also for what is anticipated. And so I want to kind of go through the progression here of what it means to enter into a relationship with God because there's many steps on this road and we're only at step two, right? Uh, So level one in this progress toward a good relationship with God was last week. God's holiness was on display and our guilt was contrasted with it. The free will offering, the blood, the absolute complete consumption of it, the giving of it to God so that it could go up to heaven in smoke and leave nothing left over for me was a picture of dedication and consecration of our lives to God. Then after that, Leviticus 2, we see God's supply and our response, proper response, gratitude, to return a gift from what was given to us. What we're going to see later, maybe next week, is that that starts to spill over into fellowship. Yeah, restored, renewed, at least an opportunity to actually engage with God again. Okay, so all these things are fun and interesting, especially the deep dish pizza part, but so what? What are the secrets that God is revealing to us this morning? Well, part of it is that gratitude is to be expected by God, gratitude on our part. And I actually want to show you how God relates to gratitude. Um, I'm reading from Psalms, many Psalms, 
This is actually search result. I did a search for thanks and praise, both together in the same verse. And I just limited it to Psalms because we can only be here until we pass out from hunger. <clears throat> and what I found are these things, just from Psalms. Psalm 7, verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 18, 49, Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praise to your name. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. By the way, that's just a little of what he expects from us. Psalm 30, verse 12, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 33, 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of 10 strings. And it goes on and on and on. But it's all summarized in the book of Hebrews the passage that Debbie read at the very beginning. Hebrews 13, verse 15. This just blew me away. Through him then, that would be through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Well, that makes sense. That's what we do, right? We praise God. Um, but what it says is a sacrifice of praise to God, that is... A sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So basically what's happening is this. When you say, thank you God for, and then you, whatever it is you're thankful for, you are recognizing that it's God who gave that thing. When you say, thank you, you are giving him praise. You are praising him for his provision. You are praising him for his supply. You are praising him for his thankfulness, or I'm sorry, for his faithfulness. We're the ones who are thankful. He's the one who's faithful. We are thanking him, and in thanking him, we are praising him for being consistent to fulfill his promise. For the fact that when we didn't deserve it, he did good things for us. Thankfulness, giving thanks, is praising God. So in all these Psalms, when he says, I will praise, I will give thanks, he's saying, this is the way that I worship you. I praise you by giving thanks. So you see, gratitude, the attitude that leads to thanksgiving, gratitude is hugely important in our relationship with God. By it, he receives praise. He is honored. He receives glory from us. But also by it, we see ourselves the way we are.
Two weeks ago, I said, mourning? Mourning is figuring out what's inside, getting it out, looking at it, identifying it correctly, and dealing with it. A lot of times what we see is a little bit of ingratitude. And what we need to do, correctly identify my ingratitude, my lack of thankfulness to God, and fix it. Fix it. I want to read to you an interesting passage. It's just another thing. I was blown away a lot this week as I looked through these things. But 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 9. What's going on is that Elijah, at God's command, just called for a drought for three years. And God said, in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar so I can drink. As she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have No bread, only a handful of flour and a little oil in a jar. And I am gathering a few sticks so I can go in and prepare for me and my son so that we may eat it and die. We're going to starve. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do exactly what you said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the bowl of flour will not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Strictly by human reasoning, she was giving everything she had to live on. And Elijah called for a little cake. Just make a little one from a bite, a morsel, half a bite, anything. B, 
because he was the priest at the time. And God was providing for him. And he was providing for him through this widow who had nothing. Nothing. This little bit of flour, what could it be? A a cup of flour? Maybe. And a little bit of oil to put in and mix it. And that's it. That's all she had. But she gave the memorial portion to the priest. And for her, it was good as up in smoke. Not coming back to her. This is a picture of of this grain offering that the Lord's asking for. And what it revealed... I don't know how I get there from here. Because what it looks like to me is she's already resigned. God's not providing more. This is what there is. But she, at the word of the prophet, obeyed. She did what she was called on to do. And let me guess that although it doesn't say it, Every time she went back to that jar of flour and oil and found something to eat in there, she was thankful. Because she knew she didn't put it there. The Lord put it there. He'll provide. And he provided for her, for her son, and for the prophet for a long time out of a jar, you know. We have a flour jar. It holds, what, four or five pounds, maybe? It's got to hold less than five pounds because a five-pound bag, there's always a little left in the bottom. and ring. Cause I, I know that. I see it in the cabinet all the time. But, but, but this is it. This is the picture, you know. When, when we have nothing left, even what we have is from God. And we need... We need to praise him for it. We need to give him the credit, honor him. That's, you know, one of the things we do at our meal is say the same stupid prayer every time. I mean, I say that because it just, I know that's how it feels. We say, I don't know, God, you're great. God, you're good. And we thank you for our food. Amen. Right? Or, Or in our case, it's God, thank you for the way you provide for us. You give us a house over our head. You give us you know, clothes to wear, a job. Our bills are paid. You provide everything for us. And though we mean it, it's just the same thing every time. Well, you know what? This offering was made again and again and again. And it doesn't get old. Because it's not about saying the words. It's about the heart that expresses gratitude. So um, what does that mean for us? Wow. It means take inventory. Take inventory. 
find out about yourself. Am I grateful? Am I grateful to God? Do I really thank him or do I just say the words? Because the building on what he's created in this foundation is the fellowship. The fellowship hasn't happened yet. The sacrifice is made. The way is set. The way is prepared. The the heart of gratitude has an open door to receive. And so now the pathway is established. But the fellowship hasn't taken place yet. We're going to have to wait for next week for that one. So working up to that, just ask yourself, do I really trust God? Am I thankful? Or am I just going through the motions? Take it out, look at it, identify what's really there, and deal with it the right way. That's the big so what. And uh, actually, there's just so many ways that when we go to communion, which we're going to do right now, by the way, when we go to communion, we are living out this illustration in so many ways because communion recalls for us what Jesus has done. And what we find out in the Old Testament is that he's the Lamb of God. This sacrifice that he's about to point to makes the way between God and us. Later on, it's, it's spoken of in the New Testament as the dividing wall is broken down. The, the, the curtain in the temple is ripped in half so that now there's nothing separating us from God because of this sacrifice. That's just, it's an amazing thing. And, and it has to do with bread and, and with the fruit of the vine. We are, Paul calls himself, the first fruits. We who, well, he who believed in Christ at that time, you know, he was like the, the very beginning of the harvest. A few people were saved, like 6,000 in one day. But... But compared to everyone who's saved now, I mean, that was the first fruits. The harvest is plentiful, and it goes on and on and on. And we cannot enter into reaping the harvest if we don't have grateful hearts built on this exact situation. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. I'm going to go this way. He broke it. Wow. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. Drink it. This is, okay, I love to cook for my family. I love to cook for my family. And you know what I love to do more than cook for my family? Watch them eat it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't know about you, I am thankful to be in the harvest. I'm thankful to be some of that which was collected and given to God. We do not practice a closed communion here. That means you don't have to be a member of this congregation in order to take part in communion. But we do ask that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ in which there is fellowship between you and him, then please just stay in your seat. For the rest of us, those who have trusted in this sacrifice to create the way between us and God for fellowship that lasts forever, for eternal life. Come and partake. So come on down.